As we prepare to open God's word together, let's ask him to bless it to us. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, what we know not, teach us now by your spirit. What we have not, give us in your son. What we are not, make us for your glory. So speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. And please turn with me in God's Word to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. Ephesians, chapter 6. This is not about the feeding of the 5,000. Ephesians, chapter 6. And we'll read the first four verses together. And this is about uh, the fifth commandment and children honoring their parents. So Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians is between Galatians and Philippians, and we're looking at the first few verses of the last chapter of Ephesians. So I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, and we'll consider this passage in connection with the fifth commandment this evening. And let's pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Thus far, the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. If you're visiting us this evening, we're glad to have you here. We've been considering a series in the Heidelberg Catechism through the Ten Commandments, and we've come to the Fifth Commandment, which is the first of the second table of the law that deal with the duties that we owe to our neighbors. Uh, The first four commandments have to do with the duties that we owe to God. And now as we come to the Fifth Commandment, honoring your father and mother, uh, this turns now to the duties that we owe uh, to those around us. And It begins with those relationships that are closest to us, uh, that we begin our lives in, uh, the relationship in the home. And Paul has gotten to this instruction here in chapter 6, really as an outworking of what he began to talk about towards the end of chapter 5. In chapter 5, verse 21, we read Paul commanding us to be submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Uh, This is a concept that he then will use to talk about the relationships that the Ephesian church was in, particularly in their households. Um, It's as if Paul is saying, now we ought to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, and what does that look like in the household relationships that were there at the time? And so Paul moves first to talk about what that looks like in the marriage relationship, in, in husbands and wives, and then he moves on to children and parents. And the culture being what it was at that time, he also talks to Christians as slaves and masters. Um, He deals with all of these household relationships that they would have been dealing with, and all of it is really under that broader heading of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And in that commandment, we can hear uh, really what Paul is saying is we are all subjects of the Lord Jesus Christ as he is our king, and as his subjects, we are to obey him out of reverence for him as the one to whom uh, reverence and honor are due. And how does that play itself out then in the relationships that are around us? And that's how we get to what Paul has to say to children and to parents about the nature of that relationship, living as subjects of our king, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so what do we learn about these verses, these few verses as Paul unfolds it to us about children and parents? 
Well, first we learn the plan for God's children from these paragraphs um, or from these verses. The plan for God's children. It's the first thing Paul tells us about. The second thing we see is the promise to God's children uh, that is highlighted in these verses. And then finally, the protection of God's children and how he wants to see that done. So that's how we're going to consider these verses together this evening. The plan for God's children, the promise to God's children, and the protection of God's children. Uh, As we consider the fifth commandment and what it has to teach us. Uh, The first thing this passage does for us is really reveals God's plan for children in the church. Um, Paul, notice he directly addresses the children in the church. Right? It's as if Paul says, boys and girls, obey your parents. And that's significant. Um, it was culturally significant because often children were overlooked um, in, you know, in the great teachings of the world at the time. You, you dealt with mature minds and you didn't have time for children. Um, they're, they're not important. And certainly not for girls, I don't mean to insult you girls who are here, um, but in the ancient world, they, they thought, you know, boys are worth spending some time on, but, you know, girls really just grow up to be married and to be mothers in the house, so they don't really need instruction the way boys do. So for Paul to really say children, which would have included boys and girls, is a more radical thing than maybe it strikes us. Um, but God has things to say to boys and girls. And notice that Paul expects boys and girls to be there to hear the word when it's read. Right? This is chapter 6 of Ephesians. It's the end of the letter. And here at the end of the letter is when Paul turns to say, now boys and girls, you need to listen too. Um, And what does that assume? Well, it assumes that the boys and girls have been listening to the whole letter so far. That everything that's been said to this point has also been for the children, even though it's only now that Paul directly addresses the children. And that tells us something about how God thinks about the children in the church, uh, how God relates to the children and how he considers them to be part of the covenant community. It's a reminder to us that these words were, were for believers and their children. That as the word comes, it's intended to be addressed to believers and their children. That God considers them part of his covenant community. Paul is talking to them every bit as much as he's talking to parents. Every bit as much as he's talking to mature believers. The children are included in that. That Paul considers them to be part of the church. And that's important for us because this is a reminder to us of the nature of the covenant community, that the covenant community is believers and their children. Um, Sometimes we really get into that subject when we get into the subject of baptism, and sometimes we're always trying to draw those ideas about believers and their children being part of the covenant community from baptism, but it's even in passages like this that this passage doesn't have anything to do with baptism, but it's a reminder to us about how God thinks about his covenant community. He considers it believers and their children. And we certainly see that when Paul not only addresses the children, but he addresses the... (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) It's the problem of this microphone. It follows you when you try to cough. 
Thank you. Um, He addresses children and tells them to obey, and not just to obey, but to obey in the Lord. You notice that? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, we have this literally playing out because this is how Greek tends to construct sentences by bookending things that belong together um, and showing that what they refer to is in the middle. Um, Now, why do I say that? Just because I had to learn Greek, so now you have to too. Um, No, well, I say that because we understand that obey your parents in the Lord are the two thoughts that hang together. Um, Obey in the Lord is bookended around your parents. And so what, it, what Paul is saying is, obey in the Lord. You children, as part of the covenant community, obey in the Lord your parents. And here again, this is a helpful understanding of how God sees his covenant community. Because if these children are not in the Lord, then how are they to obey in the Lord? Um, it helps us to see how the Lord thinks of these children. How he thinks of the children he addresses in the congregation. God is calling the children in the church to do what all members of the church are called to do, which is to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And how do children do that? By obeying their mom and dad for Jesus' sake. Uh, That's what Paul is teaching us here. That's why question 104 is helpful in the catechism to sort of flesh out what it means to obey your parents as the Lord wants you to. He says that I show, the catechism says that I show honor, love, and faithfulness to my father and mother, submit myself with proper obedience to all their good teaching and discipline. That's really what what the word obey has the sense of here. Um, Again, if you wanted to, to break this word down in Greek for obey into its constituent parts, it would really be the 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 preposition by or under attached to the verb for listen. And when you put those together, it has the sense of obey what you've heard. Um, Pay attention to what you've heard. Obey on the basis of having paid attention to your parents. We obey our parents. We honor them. We love them and are faithful to what they have told us to do. Wherever they have taught us with good teaching and discipline, we are to obey them. And Paul makes it clear what is to motivate our obedience. Uh, What is to motivate the obedience of children? They obey in the Lord Jesus. They obey because they want to make Jesus happy. That's why they obey all the good teaching and discipline of our parents. And so children are reminded of the thing we all need to be reminded of. Why ultimately do we do the things that God has commanded us to do? What is to motivate our obedience? It's that we want to be faithful subjects of our King. Uh, We want the Lord Jesus to be happy, and we know it makes him happy when we do what he's commanded us to do. Um, And so that's why we do these things. And ultimately, when we look to Christ, and that also helps to guide these relationships, because submission in any form is hard. Um, And whenever submission issues come up, we always want the exceptions, right? When don't you have to do that? And there certainly are times when there are parents in this world who tell their children to do things that children ought not to be told to do. Um, And we're reminded here that the only true and absolute authority is our Lord Jesus Christ. 
He is the only one to whom we owe absolute submission. Um, And Paul is teaching us very carefully here how we submit in these other relationships. Um, Dr. Baugh, one of my professors, was helpful on this point. He said, submission is not absolute for any party. But an individual submits in some ways to some people and not in other ways to others. The only absolute rule for Christian behavior that is to guide everyone at all times is love. We submit to one another by considering others and their concerns more highly than ourselves in mutual love and service. In all of these submission relationships, there's not absolute submission in any of them. Wives are not called to absolutely submit to their husbands. Children are not called to absolutely submit to their parents. Slaves are not called absolutely to submit to their masters. We're to submit along the lines of where God has called us to. But where he has called us to, we should consider it our delight to do what we're told to do. Because we really are submitting to Christ when we submit to these other relationships And that's what God wants. He speaks to the children not only to tell them their place in the church, but also to show them their place in the family. Why should children obey their parents in the Lord? Paul says, for this is right. Um, To submit to their good discipline and instruction is right. And why is this the right thing to do? Well, Paul says, because that's what the law commands us to do. Um, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Um, And doing this in the way Paul does it, he teaches us the important connection between obedience and honor. Because at first he says, children, obey your parents, for this is right. And then he says, now what was the commandment? The commandment was to honor your parents. It's two different words, right? To obey and to honor, those are different things. But what is Paul teaching us about honor? Honor is really shown in obedience, right? Obedience is really the evidence that you honor someone. Uh, John Calvin's helpful on this point. He said, obedience is the evidence of that honor which children owe to their parents. It is likewise more difficult. For the human mind recoils from the idea of subjection and with difficulty allows itself to be placed under the control of another. Um, It's important that this is the first commandment that comes in this second table of the law. Because the first relationship we are born into in the world is one of subjection, the one where we are not in charge. Um, And Calvin is rightly saying, you know, people who are born into this world as sinners, who are born into a world where one of the first commands that comes to us is to obey our parents, that's one of the first things that's hard for us to do and the first examples of our fallen nature, that we don't like to be those in subjection to other people. My mom loves to tell the story of when my sister was three years old. She came out one day and said, can I be in charge today? Because I don't think it's fair that parents should be in charge all the time. Um, And my mom said, I thought I should call your father and say, you need to get home here. We already have a rebellion on our hands. Um, But, you know, even at three years old, she could, this is not fun. I don't like being, I don't like not being the one in charge. 
I don't like this subjection business. Um, And what is the first lesson we sort of have to learn as we come into this world? There are plenty of times we are not going to be the ones in charge. There are going to be plenty of relationships that we interact with where we are submitting to other people. It happens to us as we come into the world in families. It happens to us in our political environments. It happens to us in our jobs. It happens to us in our marriages. It happens to us in any kind of relationship, in all kinds of relationships. And from the very beginning, we have to learn the connection between honor and obedience. Right? It's easy for us all to bow our heads and pray to God, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's much harder to actually follow the will of our Father without any backtalk. To actually act like His will alone is good. And sort of obedience is, is with the issue of honor. Obedience is kind of where the rubber meets the road. If you really honor the Lord, then you obey Him. That's the way you show honor. That's the hard way that honor is shown. Obedience is the evidence of honoring Uh, those who are in authority over us, our willingness to truly honor them. And from that early age, we learn and are to learn the lesson that where we have proper instruction and discipline being given, we obey. And that's how we show that we honor those who are over us by our obedience. And God sweetens that difficult calling by attaching a promise to this first difficult command of submission. Paul says something really wonderful about this commandment as he's relating it to us. Um, He relates with the command from the Old Testament, the fifth commandment about honoring your parents, but he adds a little editorial comment, doesn't he, about the nature of this commandment. Look what he says in verse 2. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. The plan for God's children is attached to a promise for God's children. And God knows how the minds of children work. Right? Um, If you want your child to learn his or her memory verse... You learn from a very early age that it's helpful to promise them a piece of candy, right? Um, I'm an uncle, so I don't have to worry as much about children's well-being as my, my brothers and sister do. So I can just be the fun uncle. I was like, sure, you can have a candy no matter what. But I guess if you really want to motivate obedience, right, you tell them to do something and then you offer them a reward. And the Lord knows that's helpful for us, that it's especially helpful for children, And he does that right with that first commandment. There's something promised to that, and it's better than a piece of candy. right? What what is the promise of that first difficult command that comes to us? Um, It's the first commandment with a promise. There are other laws that God gives that have promises attached, but this is the only one of the Ten Commandments where there's a promise directly attached. And what is that promise? that it will go well with you, and that you will live long in the land. Right? That, that together is an idea of enjoying the fullness of God's blessing. That it will go well with you, and you will live long in the land. 
Uh, that's a way altogether of God saying, you will live under the fullness of my blessing when you do what I've called you to do. Just sort of like when Proverbs promised us a great life for following the precepts. We know that the reality of life in this world is the righteous don't always flourish for obeying God's law, and sometimes the wicked prosper in their way. Um, And just the same way, there are children who are very obedient who don't live long lives, and people that are obedient who have very hard lives. And there are wicked people who are wicked children and grow up to be wicked people and live to ripe old wicked ages. God is not always saying that these things run together in just a simply earthly sense. But he does say, those who walk with me enjoy the fullness of my blessing. And Paul extends that promise to every child of God everywhere they are. Because in quoting that command with a promise, he cuts off his quotation at a certain point from the Old Testament. Did you notice that? Honor your fathers and your mothers, for this is right. And if you do that, you will live long in the land. What does he leave out off the end of that? The land that the Lord your God is giving you. And what does he do by cutting that off, that, that tail end off of the law? He said, one commentator said, by cutting off the last phrase, Paul broadens the promise to the whole earth. It's not just attached to Canaan and the land that God was giving them. This this promise is now expanded for all of God's children. That it will go well with you wherever you are. That the Lord will be with you in the fullness of his blessing wherever you go. Throughout the whole earth. They will experience the fullness of God's blessing, eternal life, and fellowship with him forever. And this too teaches us something, this promise teaches us something about the nature of our God. I love how Sinclair Ferguson put it. He said, Paul never stresses the obligation to obedience without also stressing the motivation of grace. God's commands are given in the context of grace. Grace with a view to obedience. There's a wonderful blessing promised to those who obey. It's not just an obligation to obey. Do this because I told you to. Right? The motivation of grace is seen behind it. Do this because it will be a blessing to you. That my blessing goes with you when you gratefully serve your Lord and King. This is the promise that's attached to this wonderful commandment. And so God is teaching that the plan for his children And he's teaching the promise that goes with that plan to his children. And then he underscores how important it is for him that they enjoy the fullness of this blessing. And that's why he ends this section by talking about the protection of God's children. It's precisely because God wants his children to be blessed that he reminds parents, particularly fathers how to help their children arrive at this blessedness. It's the children who are to submit, um, but Paul says that the parents have a role to play in helping them. Um, That fathers, in a particular way, are to do everything they can to prosper and protect their children. And again, how does God do this for us? How does he help us in this? Well, first, by reminding us whose children they are. 
But all along we've continued to say this passage applies to God's children. Um, Because children are God's children, first and foremost. It's helpful for us when we remember that. Um, when When we think about the children in our church, we should think about them as God's children. Um, it helps us when we do that. Right? We, we object when the state acts, acts and talks as if our children belong to them. Right? Uh, we rightly object to that, and we should object to that. Our children do not belong to the state. That's not a function the state has been given. Uh, but sometimes we respond to that by saying, our children do not belong to the state. They belong to our family. And there's a sense in which that's true. Right? God has ordained you to be born into the family that you are born into. But that's not entirely correct to say they belong to our family. The more correct thing would be to say they belong to our family because they've been given to us by our God. And ultimately, they belong to him. It's one of the encouraging things that comes up over and over again in the Old Testament is that God makes it very clear that he is concerned for Israel's children. Um, we, we talked a few weeks ago that one of the things that really seems to have upset God is when the people rebelled against him at the threshold of the promised land and said, God has brought us here to die and he's brought our children here to die. He's brought our little ones out to die here in the wilderness. And the things God says in response to that seem to make it clear that one of the things that he finds really annoying about that form of rebellion is that they would think he's brought their little ones to bring them to ruin. To make, to, to, for them to say that he does not care about their little ones. The Bible is filled with reminders that God cares about the little ones. Um, One really poignant moment of that is in Ezekiel 16 when God is sharing his indignation with Israel for the way they have sacrificed their children to to idols. That sort of one of the heights of their sin has been to sacrifice their children to idols. And, And God rebukes them for this in Ezekiel 16, 20, and 21. And you can hear his anger at the the consumption of these children. What does he say? He says, and you took your sons and your daughters whom you had borne to me, and these you sacrificed to them to be devoured. Were your whorings so small a matter that you slaughtered my children and delivered them up as an offering by fire to them? Do you hear God's anger in that? And why is he so angry? You took their lives and let them be devoured by false gods. And God says, they were not your lives. They were mine. They're my children. You bore them to me. Right? That's the nature of the way God thinks about our children. And when children are harmed, that's the wrath and indignation of God. But it should also be a great comfort to us as we think about our children to know that God loves them so passionately. That God is so for the children of his people. Um, We had the opportunity, Reverend Tedrick and I had the opportunity this week to meet with some of the brothers who were at the URC in Alaska. 
And they showed us a, a video they had taken on their cell phone where they were canoeing or kayaking down a river, and a mama grizzly bear thought they were getting too close to her cubs. And so as they're ro- rowing down the river, this huge bear, grizzly bear, comes charging at them out of the, out of the woods. And they said that, you know, they're all terrified. <laughs> they're showing us this video and say, you should come to Alaska and visit. Yeah, well, get right on that. Um, but they were saying, you know, this is kind of the most dangerous thing you can face kind of out in the wilderness because the grizzly bear is the biggest and the, and the most powerful of the bears that you face there. And when you get between a mama grizzly bear and her cubs, it's a very dangerous place to be because mothers are already in nature ferocious for their young And when you have an animal that's so powerful, that's even more sort of frightening. But you know, the the ferocious care of that bear was nothing as to the ferocious care of our Lord Jesus Christ for those who are his own. And he is far more powerful than any creature is to protect those who belong to him. And that should be a comfort to us as we consider the dangers of this world. Um, And we recognize how little power we have sometimes to help the children of our church. To be reminded that our God is powerful in his protection of his children. And wants them to experience the fullness of his blessedness. And so he gives parents a helping advice on how to protect and prosper their children. We first do that when we remember whose they are. And then we do that when we do, when we do what God has commanded us to do. He has a word for fathers here in particular. Because fathers were very powerful in the households at that time. So what's said to the fathers here is also being said to mothers as well. But how do we protect our children? What's the first thing that Paul says to do? He says to not do something. How do you protect your children? By not provoking them to anger. Paul says we protect our children when we don't provoke them to anger. And why is it particularly important for Paul that we don't provoke children to anger? Well, it's because of what he's already said in this letter about anger. Reverend Tedrick and I didn't coordinate this morning, but he read for our law reading right from Ephesians chapter 4. And right from the section that Paul deals with anger. And let me remind you what Paul taught us about anger in Ephesians chapter 4. In chapter 4, 26 and 27, he said, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. What does anger do? Anger provides an opportunity for the devil to exert his influence. And I think that's one of the reasons Paul says to fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. Because when you provoke your children to anger, what are you doing? You're giving an opportunity to the devil to exert his influence. Because anger is the enemy of a number of good virtues. Anger is the enemy of kindness. It's the enemy of compassion. It's the enemy of forgiveness. Um, And anger is also the ally of a number of terrible vices. Anger is the ally of bitterness and fury. 
Anger is the ally of slander and malice. And Paul teaches us all that in Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Anger is a terrible friend of bitterness and fury and clamor and shouting and slander and malice. Um, Anger will ally itself with all of those things. And what is anger the enemy of? All the things that we really need in the Christian community, which is kindness and compassion and forgiveness. That's why it's such a serious matter to provoke children to anger. It creates an opportunity for the devil to exert his influence and allies itself with all kinds of evils and is the enemy of all kinds of graces. And that's why parents are not to provoke their children, not to provoke them to anger. And I think we're helped in this when we remember how God, our Father, has treated us in Jesus Christ. He is not a domineering Father. He is not a Father who provokes us to anger. He is a Father who is tender with us. Again, Sinclair Ferguson is really helpful on this point. He said, a domineering spirit is not a divine instrument. A domineering spirit is not a divine instrument. Some fathers try to subordinate their children to their own authority and the necessity of obeying it in such a way that they obscure rather than express the gracious authority of God. The duties of the child are thus severed from a context of love and the relationship with the father is divorced from faith and the effect is to provoke to anger. Provocation to anger is law without grace. It's law without grace. A dominating spirit, a domineering spirit, will not show people Christ. Because that's not what Christ is like. He's gentle and lowly in heart. He's tender with people. And we think of how Christ has acted towards us, and we want to show that same gracious authority to our children. Um, And that's taught in all of life, isn't it? Not just in what we say, but in how we act. And that's why when, when Paul says what you're not to do is provoke them to anger, what does he say that we are to do with our children? Fathers are to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And how does the discipline and instruction of the Lord happen? It happens in all of life, doesn't it? If we think to Deuteronomy 6, when the Lord tells his parents about how they are to teach their children how to walk with God, he says those commandments are to be on your heart, and you're to talk with them about it, and you talk with them about it when you walk, and when you lie down, and when you sit, and when you arise. You put the word of God on the doorposts of your house. You write them on your gates. You put them on your forehead. You keep them before you and before them. 
Uh, and again, it comes in the context of the motivation of God's grace. I'm bringing you into this promised land flowing with milk and honey. How are we to obey walking with our Lord there? But you notice how that instruction is, is fully orbed in life. All of life is part of that bringing up children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Because they learn a lot not just from what we say, but from how we act. Right? They learn that. We all learn that way, right? Um, it would do me no good to preach for... I'm not going to say how long I'll preach. I don't want to give you false hope. But you know, it would do me no good to preach about kindness for 45 minutes and then go out and be unkind to everybody. Right? It, would, it would undo anything I'd said to be unkind. Because we learn both ways, right? Both by hearing and by seeing it. Um, That's why when Paul's instructing Timothy as a pastor, he says you're going to have to preach the word in season and out of season, but what you're also going to need to do is set the believers an example. In speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity, you're going to have to teach them by the way you act. Because everybody learns in both ways. And that's, I think, what what Paul has in mind, talking about the instruction and discipline of the Lord, is that Deuteronomy 6 sense of all of life being devoted to that discipleship. Or the way the father and the mother teach the son in Proverbs over and over again about how to live life with wisdom before the Lord. It's a fully orbed part of life. Because unless we see truth and love... We're not going to learn the way of Christ. Truth without love is not what we've learned from Christ. Nor is love without truth. Right? Deeds without words is not what we've learned from Christ. Nor is words without deeds. It's all of life. And our children are watching us as well as listening to us. It's funny what children do here. My brother texted me just before church to say that my youngest niece told her mother as they were leaving for church, do you have snacks? Because I always begin to feel a little peckish in church. She's five. Um, She heard that word somewhere, peckish, right? Maybe you're feeling a little peckish right now, a little hungry. Um, But she heard that and she learned it and then it just comes out. Like, where did they pick this up? She picked it up somewhere, right? Our children are listening, but our children are also watching. That's why we want to be sure that we're not just instructing them in the Christian life, but also showing them Christ in how we live. That we're setting an example of what Christ is like um, by, how we, by how we live. Remember one of the saddest things I ever heard a pastor say who had been raised by a godly father. He said I was, he would do family worship and I was sure he loved the Lord. I wasn't sure whether he loved me. He was very serious about family worship, and we were very serious about doing it. And I was sure he loved the Lord. I wasn't sure whether he loved me. That's really sad, isn't it? Because if we've learned from Christ, we know that the Lord loves us. Doesn't just talk to us about love, but shows us how he's loved us. And continues to say to us, I loved you so much that I was willing to come and lay down my body and soul for you. That's how much I love you. 
And Jesus said, you know, you have a father who loves you so much that despite the fact that he loves me so much, he was willing to let me come and do this. To die a sinful, a shameful and a cursed death on the cross as one who knew no sin, being sin for us and bearing the penalty in his body and soul on the cross. The father was willing to give up his son, his only son, who he loved, to die for our sins in that way. And the son was willing to give himself up for us because he loved us. He leaves us in no doubt about how he feels about us. And that's what we want our children to understand, that the things we say is for, are for their good. Um, and that they see the love of God in how we love them and raise them up. Now, our family relationships are not perfect. Right? I, I'm not a parent, so I'll go home and sleep easy after hearing this because I don't have to worry about doing this. I don't know of any parent who doesn't feel like, man, we are getting this all wrong. Or even parents who've already raised their children who are saying, Billy, I wish I could go back and do it again because clearly there's stuff I forgot to do. Our family relationships are not perfect. And children will fail to obey and honor their parents where they ought to. And parents will fail to instruct their children in the Lord as they should. Parents will provoke their children to anger. And when we fail our children, we have to model humility and repentance to them. Um, they have to see that we deal with our infirmities and our failures in a Christ-like way, in a Christ-honoring way. And when our children fail us, we have to model kindness and forgiveness to them the way our God is kind and forgiving to us when we fail Him. Um, who would attempt to do any of this without constant prayer for the grace and help of the Holy Spirit and doing these things. And who could do it without the certainty that where we fail our children, the Lord will not fail. Um, the Lord will not fail them. That was one of David's hopes in the, in the depths when he calls out in Psalm 27 that his father and mother have forsaken him. And when he says that, what does he say in Psalm 27.10? My, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. These relationships may have failed me. The Lord will not fail me. The Lord will not fail to take me in. And that leaves him not in a position of hopelessness, but in a position of great courage at the end of that psalm. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. The Lord will not fail us. Where fathers and mothers fail us, the Lord will not fail us. And that's our hope. So our prayer is that the Lord would give the grace and help of his spirit for children to be obedient to the good instruction and discipline of their children and for their parents to bring them up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. Let's be praying for the parents in our church and let's be praying for our children that we would all submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, for the good of the church and for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, our King, who we love and desire to serve. Amen.
Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we acknowledge that whether we are children or under some other kind of authority, it's difficult to submit. We so often think we know better than those who've been put in authority over us. And so we pray, Lord, that you would help us to honor them properly by looking to you ultimately as the one we honor. That we can honor you and even in bearing patiently with the infirmities of those who are over us, that we seek to honor Christ in all things. And so we do pray for the boys and girls of this church that you would help them to obey their parents. You would help to remind them that this is the right thing to do, where their parents give them good instruction and discipline that they should obey them. And we pray, Lord, that you would help the children to obey that, that you would remind them of your promise, of the blessedness that comes to those who walk with you. And for our parents, Lord, would you help them? It is difficult, Lord, to do what you've called us to do in any walk of life, and perhaps nowhere more difficult than for parents who are trying to love and honor their children, love and honor you, show Christ to them despite their failings and shortcomings, Lord. And so we pray that you would encourage the parents with the help and the hope of the Spirit, and that you would help them to keep from provoking their children to anger, but help to bring them up in the fear and knowledge of the Lord. I mean, even those of us who do not, do not have children, help come alongside the children of this church and help to show by word and deed what it means to follow Christ and the glories of the kindness that has been shown to us in Him. May we look to Him as the example of how to be kind and tender-hearted and compassionate and forgiving. And may we not only speak of our children to these wonderful truths about our Savior, but may they see Him in us by Your grace that we might glorify you, not only in our words, but in our deeds. Help us in these things by your spirit, we pray, Father, for we ask them in Jesus' name. Amen.